0: You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of John. Here's Nate. The second half of John chapter 4 is a passage in which we're going to see the importance of the harvest and the importance of gospel work. If you're anything like me, you've had disagreements uh, at times where you have to settle the disagreement by actually going online. My wife and I had this just a few days ago where we were talking about the lyrics to a song that I had been singing. And uh, as I was singing it, my wife said, no, 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 that's not the way that it goes. You're missing, you know, a word or two. And I was insistent. I said, no, no, I'm singing it exactly the way that it's meant to be sung. And so, you know, without further delay, we immediately went to the internet. We actually listened to the song. And when it got to this chorus or hook and the artist sang it, I'm sad to say that I was proved wrong. I was defeated and my wife was exonerated. She was correct in her estimation. And I think that at times, as believers, we disagree with God about the potential of the harvest that is present in the world. If you're anything like me, you'll look around at the culture and the temperature spiritually, the environment. And I think it's all too easy for us to proclaim and exclaim that this world is hard hearted and there is an overall resistance. ...to the gospel, which prohibits a large-scale evangelistic harvest and thrust into this world. I think it's very easy just looking at the surface level of the world to believe something like that. But what we'll discover today in this particular text is that Jesus has a completely different perspective. Uh, He will tell us, as the Lord of the harvest... That there is a harvest to be had. And so uh, today, I hope that our perspectives shift and that we adopt more and more the heart and the passion and the belief that God himself has for and in this world. And so there is a harvest, but in order for us to engage in it, our perspectives and priorities and methods Must follow the Lord of the harvest plan. And so that's what we're going to discover today. Now, last time we were in John chapter 4, we discovered this woman at the well, right? This Samaritan woman that Jesus spoke to. He told her that she was thirsty, basically. Her thirst had been manifested in her pursuit of husband after husband after husband. And, And in each instance, the thing that she had thirsted for was not satisfied. In any of those relationships. And Jesus tried to hold out to her and say, listen, the thing that you are thirsting for and have been trying to be satisfied in with these relationships, the satisfaction really only comes from me. It's living water that flows out of your heart, an internal satisfaction that I can provide uh, to you. And this woman, now responds by going back into her hometown Sychar there in Samaria and she begins to express her testimony and so we're going to see her uh, sharing her testimony as well so let's just get into this story and move on in the text verse 27 it says just then after Jesus had spoken to this woman and revealed to her that he was the Messiah his disciples came back they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman let her, left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And so the disciples, they come out, number one, and they see Jesus speaking with this Samaritan woman, and they're shocked, really. And they marvel that Jesus is speaking with this woman. Uh, But nobody asks him about it. They don't say, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? No one says a word. And, uh, you know, some commentators will say, well, the reason that they didn't say anything is because they were so respectful of Jesus. But I think if we're honest about the disciples... Uh, When they believed something or thought something, they they had no problem rebuking Jesus or questioning Jesus. And so I I don't think this was respect at the moment. I think they were just in total shock, dumbfounded at his willingness to break this particular cultural barrier. And uh, I, of course, love this about Christ, his willingness to break down ridiculous cultural barriers that have no tie to God's biblical order that he has prescribed. And so it was more than fine for Jesus to speak to this woman. I also enjoy seeing how this woman in response to Jesus, notice what she does. She leaves her water jar and goes into town and begins to report everything that Jesus had done uh, for her and communicated to her. And we'll pick up a little bit later on in the text this whole idea of what she said to the villagers there in Sychar. But notice that she left her water jar. I think that's a wonderful incidental note, divinely recorded for us. Just seeing how she is no longer concerned with what she was concerned with previously. Her perspectives have changed after meeting Jesus. And her question to the people in Sychar is very simple. She says, can this be the Christ? And when she says that, what she's, what she's doing is she's just basically proposing, could this be the Christ? I don't know. I'm not the expert. But you tell me, could this be the Christ? And with all of that passion in her voice, the people in the town are curious and they come out to Jesus. Now in verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat. That you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, as we've already seen, as we've been journeying through the book of John, we're in this section now where Jesus is confronting individuals, right? the end of chapter 2, John records for us that Jesus did not commit himself to man because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. It seems as if Jesus would be very distant with information like that, but nothing could be further from the truth. He then goes to Nicodemus. And you remember when Nicodemus spoke to Jesus, Jesus responded with this mysterious statement. What was it? He says, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Nicodemus had no chance of understanding this word. Then Jesus goes to the woman at the well. And she he says, I'm thirsty. She says, you know, why are you speaking to me? You're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. And he responds with... If you knew the gift of God and if you knew him who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Again, no chance that she would understand what Jesus is talking about. It had to be unpacked later and we see a similar enigmatic statement from Jesus right here. The disciples come out they 've got food, and they say, "Hey Jesus, eat, rabbi, eat it's you 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 couldn't even come with us into the town. you were tired physically, eat something, and he says, "I have food to eat that you do not know about my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work and Of course, it must be pointed out as it will be pointed out time and time again through the Gospel of John that jesus 's great passion in life was to do." His father's will, not his own will, but the will of the father and the first thing I wanted to say about this uh, is that here's Jesus basking in the afterglow of reaching this woman right and he sa- he says to these guys, look I'm full, I'm satisfied because because man I get satisfied when I do that which the father." asks me to do. And then he's going to introduce the concept of harvesting souls. And the first thing that I wanted us to see quite simply is the simple priority of the harvest. It is so important to reach people that Jesus, in reaching a person, says to his disciples, Listen, I am satisfied like food satisfies my hunger. I am satisfied when I am able to do the will of God, which is to reach a human soul. And this is just a wonderful statement from Christ. I don't think any of us can say this like Jesus can. But this priority for the harvest, for planting churches, for preaching the gospel, it, it should only grow in God's people. And uh, this desire to prioritize the harvest. And so we see that in the heart and in the mind of Christ. And then he goes on and he talks about this harvest with them. He says in verse 35, he says, Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now this is beautiful because Jesus He'd already sort of explained, listen, this is the priority. It's so important. This is the will of God. But, but then he gets into the timing issue because I think this is where many of us are at. He, he says, listen, you guys have a farming term and it's very simple. It's, it goes like this. Four months from now is the harvest. We've sown some seed. We've tilled the earth and in four months we will reap a harvest. And Jesus says, no, that's actually not how it works. When it comes to human beings, human souls, Jesus says, lift up your eyes, look, and see that the fields are white for harvest. It's very possible that at this moment, the Samaritan villagers were coming out to Jesus, potentially dressed in white garments from head to toe, and Jesus is looking at them and saying, look, the fields are white for harvest. We can harvest souls now. But regardless of whether that was what was happening or not, Thing what Jesus is saying to his people is, listen, lift up your eyes and understand that there are people to reach, not only in the future, but right now. There is a spiritual crop to harvest right now. And I truly believe this. This is part of the reason that I've wanted to teach through the Bible because I believe that there is an equipping that takes place when a man or a woman listens to the entire word of God shared and taught. And, and when that equipping occurs, my hope and my prayer and my dream is that more and more people will be enabled and you know equipped to be able to go into all of the world to reap a harvest. Whatever that might look like for you, whether it's personal and individual or or corporate or church planting or whatever it might be, I long to see that thing take place but the timing of it is now. I remember having a conversation with a pastor of a very large church one time that, that is very influential and into training and he just said to me he said look it's it's so hard for me sometimes to actually get someone to go you know so many of these guys are overtrained and overstuffed and oversaturated and they keep saying that the harvest is tomorrow keep talking about planting a church, but but, but the time, according to Christ, in many ways, is now. And so uh, we see the timing. But then Jesus goes on in verse 36, and he says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here, verse 37, the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And so here Jesus gives us this, this these statements. We could camp out on any one of them for some time. But let me just say it like this. He says to them, he says, listen, you know, there's, there's one already reaping to re- receive fruit for eternal life. And there is already those that are sowing. And the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. That's how fruitful this harvest can be. The sowing and the reaping can occur simultaneously. All right, And he he says, you know, it's true. One will sow and another will reap. And I'm sending you disciples to reap for that which you didn't labor. You know, guys have gone out, prophets and, and John the Baptist, myself, Jesus is saying. And we have prepared the soil, but you will go out and you will actually reap that harvest. We've looked at the priority of the harvest. We've looked at the timing of the harvest. But but here's where I wanted to bring us. Is just the simple teamwork that's involved in reaching the world for Christ. Just realizing that it's a team effort and you have a part to play in this team. Whether it's sowing or reaping, you have a position and a role that God wants you to operate in. As far as reaching this particular harvest and world. Uh, he hasn't called any of us to to be out of this role and responsibility. He wants all of us to be in to this role and responsibility. There are those who plant. There are those who water. And God gives the growth and the increase. But we are all to be involved. And I think that's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 In talking about the harvest there in that section, he told us to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And uh, I know I'm praying for that. I'm praying for men and women to be raised up to go out into all the world and to reach people. I mean, really, this is what it comes down to. The, The church, in so many ways, is not limited financially. I mean, sure, you know, money can be an issue. And ministry can be pricey and expensive at times. However, I've found over time that the the asset that is the most difficult to come by are men and women who have a deep passion and heart for the living God, the gospel, and desire to actually put their life on the line in going out and stepping up and being used by the Lord in this kind of way. And so Jesus tells us to pray for laborers and I would encourage you maybe you're not in a season in life where you can be that aggressive sower or that aggressive planter or you maybe are not in a time in life where you can join a church planting team and move to another city but you can sure pray and you can ask God to raise up laborers for the different potential harvests that you see with your own two eyes just watch the news watch the nightly news for a week And ask yourself the question after you observe it, where are potential harvests in my community? I guarantee you, just looking at the hurt in a community will help you see where some harvests are. Now, moving past that, uh, returning to the woman, it says that many Samaritans, verse 39, from that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to them, he, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. So interesting little thing. These people return back to Jesus. Uh, the woman brings this crowd and notice that many people actually believe because of the woman's testimony. And here's where I want us to, to, to look now in this little section. It's is just personal witness. She was a great sharer of her faith. Right? It was very undeveloped, very raw at this point. But she was she did a wonderful job. And here's what she did. She just only explained what she could about what Jesus had done. I mean, she didn't... They have a whole lot of answers. They were propositions more than anything. But she just shared her testimony. And I think as Christians, I, I, you know, of course, this is not the only way to share your faith. You know, people need to hear apologetics and fulfilled prophecies and, and the internal witness of Scripture. They need, to, they need to hear why we believe what we believe. That's definitely a huge part of witnessing in this world. But its basest sense is simply reporting. What the Lord has done for us in our lives. And I think we can do this constantly. I'm watching this happen in my life group right now. We get together each week, and you know, the more we gather, the more comfortable we become at talking about what the Lord is doing in our lives. And I'm watching that in my own life translate into being comfortable talking about what the Lord is doing in my life with non believers. And so, you know, personal testimony is absolutely wonderful and valid in declaring the, the gospel. And so she declared this, right? But, but then when they came out to Jesus, it says that many more believed because of Jesus' word. And they actually go to great pains to go back to the woman and say, Hey, listen, now we really believe. They're kind of rubbing it in for some reason to this woman. Uh, But now we really believe because we heard his word directly. And at the end of the day, this must occur. You know, at the end of the day, someone must receive a direct revelation. They've got to be spoken to by the living God. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 that, you know, there would be moments when nonbelievers would come into the public assembly of the church. And as the spiritual gifts were being operated in, prophecy and and all of that, the secrets of their hearts would be disclosed. And falling on their face, they would worship God and declare that God is really among us. I mean, at the end of the day, someone just has to hear the word of Jesus speaking into their heart. No one ever spoke like Christ, they'll say in chapter 7, verse 46. No one ever spoke like this man. And so there's a need for a person to actually just interact with Jesus himself and to reach them himself. So we can share, share, share our testimony, but ultimately this example is wonderful. Jesus speaking directly to this crowd and they proclaim that Jesus is the savior of the world, much bigger than the Samaritans, bigger than Israel, but the savior of the world. Now, after two days, okay, so he was there in in, uh, Samaria for the two days. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. That's where he was going originally. He had become very popular and famous down in the Judean wilderness, baptizing people. And it was uh, attention that he did not want at this point. So he was traveling to Galilee, took a two-day detour in Samaria for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now this is a little tricky because, you know, Jesus would say this about Nazareth in Galilee, that, hey, I'm not welcome, a prophet isn't welcome or have honor in his own hometown. Uh, but here he, it's quoted as if to say, that's why he left the Judean region. And so it's a little confusing, the application here, but he's welcomed in uh, Galilee. And so he came again to Cana, verse 46, in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Now, if you're anything like me, when you read that in verse 46, that there was an official whose son was ill, immediately I think that this is a Gentile official, because in the other Gospels, Jesus deals with Gentile officials and you know their servants and all of that, and sickness, and so it feels like the, a similar case, but actually in this text, it doesn't say that he's Jew or Gentile, so we really don't know he could be either. And this man heard, verse 47, that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, and he went to him and asked him to come down to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So, as is often the case, desperation brings this man to Christ. He travels 20 miles from Capernaum to be with Jesus. Verse 48, so Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now remember, I told you that Jesus is interacting with people and he is saying these things that sound strange as you first hear them. And here this man comes 20 miles, his son is dying at the point of death, and Jesus says, seemingly with little compassion, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, This is interesting. And what we've seen already in this text are two major things that hinder faith. One is familiarity. A prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Familiarity usually hinders faith. But the need to see, he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That also hurts our faith. The need to see this is interesting because the whole Christian faith is based off of a sign and wonder, right? I mean, the resurrection of Jesus, without that wonderful miracle, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that our faith would be futile and we would still be in our sins. We would be the most pathetic people on earth if we practiced all these things and 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 worshipped in the way that we do without the resurrection. It's a requirement for this to be sane, right? So, Here Jesus says to this man, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So let's follow this out a little bit further. Verse 49, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And notice this, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. You notice what happened there? Jesus says, unless you see it, you won't believe. Then Jesus speaks it, and the man believes. He believes the word of Jesus rather than the work of Jesus. And, and this is obviously beautiful, to see this development in the faith of this man. Uh, just believing in the, in the word of the Lord. You know, we, we are a people that we're, we're to walk not by, not by sight, but we walk by faith. You know, and there are times where all we will have is the simple word of God, the simple promise of God. I just read today, reading the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, and I, I just read today of the moment where, you know, after receiving dreams personally and all that, he, he gets he gets a, uh, thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery and then uh, thrown into prison, and he's there for years. And he finally gets a chance to come out of prison and interpret some dreams for Pharaoh. Uh, He'd done it for a couple of Pharaoh's servants, and, and he says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you know, you've received this dream twice because it's firm in God's sight. He will bring it to pass, which just amazes me because Joseph had received two dreams from God, and they had not yet come to pass, but he just believed in the Lord. He was walking not by what he saw in his life, but by faith. And this is so important in a believer's life. And so as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And so it says a second time that the man believed. That can be confusing at first, but it's just very human. Believing initially, walking home, maybe doubting, and believing again. Having his faith strengthened in Christ. So, remember, there's a harvest. There are people to reach. Let's reach them. Let's see the harvest as absolutely ripe and do what God has asked us to do. Faith will spring up in the hearts of the people that we minister to. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.